in the middle of the water. Mm. If people can build houses in the middle of the house water, yeah, and we can also build mm. in flat pool areas. Yeah, if we plan and design the houses very well. No, 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 this is an interesting um, conversation. I want us to continue um, next week. We are hard pressed, you know, for time now. So I want us to continue next week, right? Okay. But let me say congratulations, you know, um, to you, Nurudin. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much. You had my colleague, um, Mahmoud Mohammed Nuruddin, who's been inducted as a professional, um, you know, um, engineer. That happened um, sometime last week. That's how we end today's edition of Sunday Edition on Joe 99.7 FM. With me, Maxwell Agbaba. Happiness to Springboard. If you have a news team, I say enjoy the new week. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to Springboard Investor University. My name is Albert Okran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and that place where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, Just Be, the Enterprise Group Enterprise Your Advantage, UMB Bank, Celebrating 50 years in banking in Central University, Ghana's premier private Christian university. Our media partners are the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. So we've been exploring for some time now, making progress in various areas of our lives, spiritually, financially, professionally. We've even done mental health for a bit, but today we settled down on managing your health and wellness. I have a feeling that's something that many of us will be very interested in. My guest today is a medical practitioner. Is it medical doctor or medical practitioner or both? <laughs> well, um, same as. Medical doctor, management leader, motivational coach, and a minister of the gospel. Dr. William Ochefimpon. William, good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you once again, Reverend. And uh, it's a joy to be on joy with you. Yes, it's a blessing to to be on our various platforms, bringing bringing life and hope, especially at a time like this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so William, we we've been we've been looking at how to make significant progress by a set of deliberate choices, and really, our focus this year has been on the fact that something you do this year can put you on a springboard for the next 10 years. And we'll be looking at the health component. But before that, tell me about your recent um, Desmond Tutu Fellowship. I've been following the earlier one with the Humphrey, yes. Humphrey yes. one on public health that yes. took you away from, from Ghana for is it two years or a year? A year. A year. But this Desmond Tutu one, I have a very special interest. I'll tell you later. All right. Tell me about that one. Well, so this, I, I had the privilege of being selected am, amongst um, a cohort of 24 um, amazing young uh, African leaders uh, for this ethical leadership development program. Um, of, of course, it's named after Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who unfortunately for our cohort, we didn't get to meet because he died a few months prior to the commencement of our, our, our fellowship. But it's a six-month period where we have an inception uh, in Cape, Cape Town, South Africa, and then we have the closing in uh, Oxford, Oxford. Oxford University. So in between, we have virtual en- engagements. But it's, it was deeply enriching 
um, because for me, I find that my the summary of my my life's purpose statement is to be an enabler of leaders and an apostle to nations. And so it, coming into contact with whether the and of course you described as me as having an eclectic background, whether as a medic is with people, people are the center. So how do I add value to my people engagement? Whether it's in ministry, it's, it's about people. Whether it's in the space of personal development, it's still about people. So equipping myself to first lead better as a management leader myself and also to serve the the needs of the the community that I serve better uh, it's always um, uh, a welcoming opportunity for growth for me so yes the tutu fellowship was 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 amazing it added a different uh, breadth to to the depth that I was built, I've been building in the leadership development space Right, I thought I had a very special affiliation or interest in that one. Before I began, um, I did the African Leadership Initiative, West Africa Fellowship, and a few other fellowships, a few other uh, platforms that I'm on. I had the same invitation 17 years ago. Oh, you don't and, say. And, 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 and it's very special for me because it opened my eyes to the reality of the choices we make and how they can either help us to move forward or, 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 or not. At that time, I was CEO of my our own company. We were doing very well. I mean, I didn't even have a CV. I'm sure you asked for your CV. Yes. I didn't have a CV then. And they reached out to me and said it was the last day of the nomination. Oh, dear. <laughs> people kept insisting I must be on that fellowship. So oh, they sent dear. me a request and said, by 5 p.m., you should send, send your CV. <laughs> I sat down and hurriedly put together a CV that I hadn't, I hadn't written and sent it. And right after I clicked send on the email, I started noticing mistakes in the CV. Ah. And, and I knew it wouldn't go well. And I got a call from a very well-spoken lady the next week. And she said, is that Mr. O'Cron? I said, yeah. I said, that was a very brilliant submission you made. So many wonderful things you are doing. And all I was waiting for was but. She said, however... <laughs> oh, when you hear, but nevertheless, however, notwithstanding, you know the Chalango year. And she said, oh, it was very competitive and you were not selected. Talking about preparation, what must Africa and by extension Ghana do or what do we need most? Without uh, wanting to sound as uh, having a cookie cutter uh, solution to the problems, I would um, say that I think I'll put it in one one phrase uh, that we need effectual leadership. And how do I disaggregate that? Four four features. This is leadership that has the capacity to envision, and so it is competent. It is visionary. It has foresight. It is has the technical capacity, and then it also leadership that is ethical, um, because at the heart of especially in most developing countries, the, the challenges that we face in our country is no exception. It's one of um, co- corruption. And if many suggest that if we're even able to solve the, the corruption, the problem of corruption, that we would even have more funds to undertake some of the developmental projects we need to execute. And then there is an issue of execution. Um, we, have been, we are blessed with, you know, leaders who can envision but I think the, 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 um, we haven't had the abil- leaders who have had the ability to transition from communicating vision into execution. So there's a lot of lofty ideas on paper, you know, strategies that we are discussing every time. We need to do this, we need to do that. But the capacity to translate vision into action, execution, uh, is, is lacking. So execution and evaluation, obviously, if you execute, you... You must be evaluating whether what you're doing is bringing the results that you originally intend. And the last one would be empathy, where leadership is people, people focused, because there's, there's, you know, there must be a connection between the, the leader and the led. If, if that kind of empathy, that kind of uh, trust, that kind of care is not Bill, we'll just be running as as if we're operating a mechanical mechanical system. So, leadership that delivers results for its people, I believe, is visionary. It is ethical. It is 
has the ability to execute and evaluate and it is empathetic towards the, the needs and concerns of his people. So ambition, ethical, execution and evaluation paired together and yeah. then empathy. Of the four, which one do you think we lack the most at this time? Good question. I, I would settle on um, execution and evaluation because I, I think that not just in our country but across Africa, we can see that there's a depth of um, intellectual uh, or competent leaders in, in thought. There's a lot of thought leaders, there's a lot of policy prescriptions. In fact, if you look at our books, you see a lot of great ideas. I think where the, the, the nexus hasn't been established well is with the execution. So how, how do we frame the vision such that when we are implementing it looks different? Or is it that our research is not strong enough or relevant enough? Or are we using examples that we haven't done enough local research such that the the basis of our theory is is from another ecosystem, and it doesn't translate well here. So all of those have to be looked at. But if if we get the execution and the evaluation right, that if you're even doing it, evaluating to see whether this thing that I set out to do is actually giving me the results that I thought it would give me, so that I know when to pull the bricks rather than throwing a lot of funding and then... Uh, it goes down the drain. Let me pull the brakes now and move on to evaluation of our uh, health and wealth. There's a nice way to segue into Indeed, <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. So let's, for the benefit of someone listening, I mean, just to give us a contextual framework, when we say health and wellness, what are we looking at? What are the components? What, what, where should our interest be? We'll work with WHO's definition. Uh, they give us a, a certain definition that hides nothing. It's, it, they say it's a complete state of physical, mental, and social well-being, and not just the absence of disease or infirmity. So that's, that really encompasses everything. It, it's a complete state of mental, social, and what? And physical well-being. Physical, yes. Physical, mental, and social well-being. You know, some would even break it down uh, to include um, spiritual as well as um, financial and intellectual, depending on which which who you are reading. They, they they would have either seven divisions or five divisions or nine divisions. But it it it, it brings health into total perspective. That it's not just physical. It's not just the absence of disease, deformity. Uh, d- uh, absence of discomfort, but the a real state of total wellness. You may not be, phys- you may be physically well, but are you emotionally well? Are you mentally well? Are you? Uh, and these days, the question to really ask is whether people are financially well. Indeed, because there's something they call minyarinsu mentiapo. It's pocketitis. Wow, <laughs> but the pocket is. Is, do you have because of your consulting women and, and spending more time telling you about the financial problems than they are? Uh, yes, it, it, it sometimes gets into uh, discussion, especially when they have to do investigations. Uh, then it gets into discussions on cost and how that uh, times are hard. And, and yes, so that's, that affects mental health, obviously. Let's talk about awareness. It, it, it would seem that people are often unaware of their own bodies and cannot even sometimes tell when something is wrong with them. They only respond when there is a malfunction or failure or crisis. What, what should we know generally about ourselves? Well, um, there are a number of things that for the non-technical person, I think everyone should, should be interested in. You should be interested in certain uh, vital scores like your blood pressure for an adult you should you should know have an idea what your your normal or average daily blood pressure is you should also have an idea of what your sugar um, level is uh, what's a specific test that we do um, that cannot that's a test that probably has to be done 
in a in a healthcare facility or if somebody needs to do it more often they are taught to do it but at least once in a year if you get to know what you are you're doing it's it's useful and then uh, depending on your gender um, and age as well every male above 40 must be interested in knowing what their prostate PSA score is and so prostate health and function and then every female as well must also be uh, interested in um, um, cervical cancer screening um, and of course because cervical cancer one of the two leading uh, causes of um, cancer related death and mortality in, in females and then of course there are also uh, breasts as well so these these numbers numbers on on BP numbers on sugar um, they should and then even how your what your B, how you are fair in terms of BMI because that also eventually leads to some metabolic dis- disorders so I'll prioritize for the everyone the, the first three BP um, sugar and BMI and then for um, for age specific we'll look at the prostate, the um, cervix, and then the, uh, the cervix for cervical cancer and the breast for to rule out lungs and uh, breast cancer. So these are figures that you're seeing a person should, should be familiar with, especially mm-hmm. as they grow. Mm-hmm. And in the course of your presentation, you mentioned at least once a year. Let's talk about routine medical checkups. If you drive a vehicle... If you bought a brand new vehicle from the manufacturer, you are told, listen, after 5,000 kilometers, bring it. After this number of months, bring it to us. Let us screen it and check the various functions. When it comes to our human bodies, there are all kinds of thoughts out there, but let's with the issue of routine medical examination or checkup, should it be compulsory? Should it be something that a person should have as their their locked down assignment every year or every six months? What was the was the was the was the practice or best practice? So, answering the first question, I believe strongly it should be uh, because the the what is turning out to be the case is that. There, there is an upsurge or an increase in what we call the lifestyle-related diseases. Um, if you like, I think the, the current statistics is indicating that about 46 million of the deaths that occurred in the past year across, are, the, globe. Ac- across the globe are attributable to non-communicable diseases. And these are diseases like um, uh, cardiovascular-related uh, uh, diabetes, cancer, uh, chronic respiratory conditions. So these ones, for instance, are things that something can be done about it if, if it's found in time. But the challenge is that most people are discovering it very late. And so the, the, the burden is even worse in developing countries where we because of, of course, financial constraints and um, poverty, uh, people even show up very late. And sometimes the first time they are presenting is when, when they already have a, a very severe complication or, or, or death. So if, if we're going to be mindful about how well and how, um, how not just how long we live, but how well that the quality of that period is then we need to pay attention to um, screening. It gives us the early telltale signs so that we can make intervention if need be. You know, talking to people, I interact with people a lot and try to find out why people do what they do. That's what I do. I mean, what I'm, that's what I'm doing now. And I find that many people's biggest resistance when you ask them to go and check is... The fear of knowing. Is there is there any merit in that? As if like if you, if if you don't know, the thing will disappear. I mean, 
Well, we say that we, there's this adage that what you what don't, you don't know can, kill you. can kill you, but actually it's even more dangerous because um, what what you you don't know you can't get help for, mm. and um, as I keep happening on the um, non-communicable the cardiovascular causes of death, for instance, hypertension is is is, is silent. If someone has hypertension, generally for many years they they have no symptoms. When you begin to have symptoms, then it means that you are you are getting into you know an emergency. You are developing something that could be almost lethal or fatal. So um, people should make it a practice that at, for and especially for those who say oh mementanyare or for me I don't I don't fall uh, ill or sick often. You know, I have great health. There are those that we are concerned about because they may come in when everything has gone flat, when they have, they, they, they have put, they've lost the window where we could have implemented, uh, you know, prevention uh, or correction, and then it now becomes curative. So in a year, at least, and sometimes even most HR policies require that uh, we do these screenings, but... People just don't commit because of first the anxiety, the the fear that what would they find, and then also, well, I feel I'm all right. It's a waste of time. Um, I I would just be. Uh, it's almost like doing an insurance policy. It's an, until you have an event that you see how important that insurance policy is. But most times, it's a, a, a painful for people to pay. So they only do the motor insurance because the law requires it. So maybe we, as a matter of policy, we should be looking at making it compulsory for every workplace to uh, insist that uh, at the beginning of the year, or maybe people should tie it with their birthdays. Uh, but it should be a personal goal that if like you want nice to one. live long, um, it shouldn't just be living long, but living in good health, in good health whilst living a good to a ripe old age. So you are seeing once a year, and if you. If you think you will forget, tie it to your birthday. So every every birthday month or week, yes, you go know. for that medical yeah. examination. I read a report yesterday that suggested that from the National Health Insurance Authority that suggested that forty eight percent of adults don't visit the hospital at all. That's probably one out of two. Don't go to hospital at all. And the part that was very interesting. They said that men are more guilty <laughs> than the women, and that men often only try to get help when it's almost too late. And I, somebody said it on the show um, a year ago. Will that be the case? And if so, why? It's, it's spot on. It's spot on. And I can share with you um, statistics or data from my my own uh, hospital for the past three years. Uh, the data suggests that we have a higher uh, female attendance than male, and oh, okay. it's, it's actually averaging for the last three years sixty nine percent female attendance against thirty thirty one percent male attendance. So it's it's not even that close. It's is that significant? The and I mean, some would say that well, there are many more females already in the population than males, so it should be not, it should be normal. But then there, if you look at the the gap. It, it doesn't suggest this. Some will also say that, well, the females take care of the children. Children are usually often sick. So when they come to the hospital with the children, they take advantage of that and also present their own conditions. So that's, that could explain that. Well, some will also say that women have reproductive and childbearing needs that take them more. But there have been studies that have discounted all of these and made it uh, an even playing field and still found that between the ages of 19 to um, 59, that the health-seeking behavior is better in, in females. And I, the, the, the reasons are, one, actually that it's some part of the male constitution to be, uh, you know, bullish about things. Oh, you have a pain here, so it's, it's normal. You know, you have to be a man. How can a man just go to hospital simply because he has a headache? So it's a bit of male egoism there. And also a bit about, well, it's a waste of time. I, I need to go and make money to provide for the family. 
and I'll lose that time when I am I'm going to the hospital. There, some also a bit about uh, again the male constitution that does not like taking instructions. So if I go and then they they tell me to do, they are telling me how to live, what to do, etc. An independent study is also actually found that when you come to a, a hospital, the level of compliance, the females comply more with the directives that they are given than 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 the than the the males. Um, so if you put all of that together, I hope, I'm not surprised that we are we are seeing this this um, this situation play out. This is Springboard Better Investing. My guest, Dr. William Ochefimpong, helping us to understand our bodies, how to manage our bodies like a brand new car that God gave you. And he is suggesting that every year you make it a routine to go check on your medical condition with a professional place. And when you go, some of the things you should be interested in, especially as an adult, include your body mass index, your blood pressure, your sugar level. He says these are basics. And then also, as you grow older, be interested, if you are a woman, in your cervical health or cervical cancer tests, and then also your breast care. For men, it is the prostate. So these are some basics that you should be familiar with. But all in all, he's saying... Um, he's confirming that men tend to have more inertia about getting help because we tend to feel that we are on the go it's a waste of our time, we don't want to comply while women tend to pay more attention earlier on than when waiting till things get out of hand we'll go for a break, when we come back I'm going to ask about the budgetary implications of our inaction, I have a feeling that that is where people sit up and say what, no way We'll find out how the choices you make have an impact on your health and how your health has an impact on your budget, especially as you get older. Please don't go away. Hello. Dear valued customer. Hmm. ASMO. The entire customer service team is out for lunch. Please call back in four hours. What? Me nana be dia kona mama me bad service ano. Me kokra. Ah nana. With bus from Enterprise D, you will love the customer service experience cake. I am available for you 24-7 on the Enterprise Advantage app, the Enterprise website, and on WhatsApp number 055-400-1924. Hello? Babs. Chat with Babs from Enterprise, your contact for insurance, pensions, funeral, and property solutions from the Enterprise Group. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. <laughs> When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, Where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you, and the whole world awaits you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere you go. Aquaba, UMB is proud to offer you the best business solutions possible. We have been excelling in serving Ghana since 1972, and our sole interest is to make your business succeed. We are committed to making you to become number one in any sphere of business or enterprise you are pursuing. With our experience in growing some of the biggest SMEs in Ghana, we can support you become the business leader in Okaishi, Suami, Abusokai, or any of the SME enclaves in Ghana with our SME solutions. Our latest SME loans allows you to take a loan backed by the value of your cash flow and inventory so you can increase your trade efficiently. Speak to our business bankers or visit any of our branches now. UMB Bank, you first. Welcome back to Springboard Virtual University and to this conversation about managing your health 
and wellness brought to you by the springboard ratio foundation and proudly sponsored by mtn pulse the enterprise group umb bank central university with our media partners the multimedia group and the graphic business my guest dr william ochery frimpong reminding us of the importance of managing your body just like you manage a brand new car taking it to servicing routinely and he says once a year make it your make it a point to take it to to the medical facility to have it checked thoroughly and he says if you think you forget make that a birthday routine the week of your birthday or the month of your birthday go for that routine annual medical examination he also says that there are some basic things that you must keep your pulse points or your eyes on including your body mass index your blood sugar level, your um, blood pr- blood pressure. Blood pressure. I was almost almost going to say hypertension. That's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not the right. Or your blood pressure level. Yes. And as you grow older, for men, your prostate, and then for women, cervical um, health as well as your breast care. Um, William, do you think that a more empathetic, to borrow your word, empathetic approach to medicine, where the doc- doctor connects better? with patients, explains things better, looks pleased, not just doctors, but all caregivers, show more empathy, will encourage more people to go to the hospital. Because growing up, many people said they didn't like one subject or another because the teacher was not friendly or did not teach it well. Would you, do you think there must be a paradigm shift in the relationship between caregivers and patients? Absolutely. On, on both, I agree on both counts that the the patients' health-seeking behavior would improve if there's also a good relationship with the provider. And, um, and, and, and then as well, the need for um, us as we practice um, medicine here to keep improving our engagement with, with clients. I, I know that for those uh, in who seek health care from the private sector, there's a lot of uh, more cordial engagement. Um, um, primarily, the challenges with the public care facilities, and it's not because there are no great doctors uh, there, but uh, sometimes you, there, there's a, a need, there, there, there's a pressing need to balance the the numbers and the the time available, so that if you started your clinic already and you see that there are hundred people behind your door. Uh, to have a meaningful engagement with each patient, even if you were doing, what, 15 to 20 minutes with them, that translates to 20 times 100. That translates to, um, what, some some 2,000 hours. That's <laughs> practically impossible. That is practically impossible. So uh, it, it, it creates the constraints. But as there are more and more professionals available, um, that that should uh, keep improving, and also I I think that every patient going into a consulting room should know that it is their 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 right to know, and I would I would not think that if if anyone asks a, a, a doctor to explain that there'll be a there'll be a pushback, but if you came in and didn't ask, when he also thinks about those behind, he will just say, well, uh, uh, let me see the next person then. So. It should be a, a, a two-way streak, as the doc, the doctor should be conscious of the fact that uh, those who come in, especially in our past, of the world, see him and as uh, the uh, lord of <laughs> lord of the the space, and they are even intimidated by that person, so they may not ask uh, questions. So at least have one or two lines to simplify what is happening and what what the patient should expect. Uh, but also the patients should also engage and say that if there's something they need to understand um, so that for those who uh, are pressed with time, at least they can prioritize those who also want to know. Uh, but I agree that we, we, we need to keep improving and um, customer service perhaps should be an integral part of medical education. Um, and for for me, I think it, that's where it begins from. If we're intentional about how we we teach um, those who are aspiring to become doctors, 
um, how to engage the patients meaningfully, it will begin to signal a, a change that there's a new wave of doctors who are more more willing to and do not get angry at uh, you throwing Google at them. Yeah, one doctor told me that Charlie, can you imagine? She actually told me that my reading was wrong. And she was looking at your watch, the read on the watch against the one I had given her. But let me let me go on to the biggest issue that um, is on my mind as we have this conversation. Mm. And so this whole year has been about the choice you make spiritually, the choice you make professionally, the choice you make financially has implications. So let's talk on the choices that we make in terms of our health. seeking behavior. So no, in terms of our lifestyle okay. and the link between that one and our health and the link between our health too and our finances or our budget. Because I am very certain that once we establish the link, many people will take this conversation a bit more seriously. So draw the line between the things we do the things we eat, the things we do on a routine basis, and the state of our health, and by implication, the state of our economic or financial well-being. Well, um, one, one will not struggle to see the, the, the link. Um, in fact, let me begin with this statistic that I came across. 41% of the working, working class that was done in 2017, 41% of them were found to have retired earlier than the, they had planned. Out of that 41%, one-third of them was as a result of health, ill health. Wow. So the, what it means is that their financial situation would have, would have obviously worsened. So, um, and how does that translate to lifestyle and choices? I, I gave an earlier uh, statistic about that from the WHO that suggested that about 74% of global deaths are attributable to non-communicable diseases. So non-communicable diseases are now the, the, the main cause of disease and mortality. If you look at uh, the, the OPD attendance, if you look at um, it, especially that, uh, the causes of death, you'd find that increasingly we're having infectious diseases come down, infectious, uh, infectious diseases, diseases that can be transmitted from one person to the other. And then we are now having these non-communicable ones, the hypertension, diabetes. Oh, I'm now building the link. So what you're saying is that typically on a regular day when you sit in clinic, more people come with diseases that are a result lifestyle of related, their lifestyle, lifestyle related. than diseases that were communicated to them by by, by parasites, infecting by infe- them. Yes. Wow. Yes. And that's globally, that's, that's the trend. And actually, it's worse in developing uh, countries. Why? So we are suffering a double burden of both infectious and lifestyle-related diseases because... For, for instance, if you take our 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 healthcare system, it's not it's not as uh, at the state of efficiency as you would have it if you were in um, the developed world. So that becomes one one uh, detractor. The next is our our lifestyle habits have changed. Um, uh, the habits have changed. Uh, we are more sedentary. We are we are eating more. "Quote and unquote junk." Um, we are we are also experimenting with a lot of things. We are there's a lot of pollution in our our environment, and and then if you cap that with the fact that you don't have a a, very, a great healthcare system, uh, then you you have this complex where your your health is is declining. So you are saying that there must be some physical activity. Yes. So how much of it? Or so would you physical. Fiscal activity, uh, uh, junk, um, and then the, the the food we can we and the meals we can we can focus on that. So fiscal activity. The recommendation really is that if you could do thirty minutes, three times a, a week, thirty minutes of of exercise three times a week. And here I will need to add that exercise that leads to uh, you. Um, let's say physically sweating so it, it can't it can't just be oh i'm doing a walk around my house but it is at such a, a leisurely pace that it it does not 
engage the, the body fully. And uh, swimming could also be a, a, a very uh, useful alternative as well. But in the minimum, these days, if you go online, you find a lot of uh, videos on exercise routine. So if you subscribe to any or uh, there's a television channel that you could work out with in the morning, some aerobics, get yourself sweating, get the, the, the heart pumping. Um, it's, it's, it's really not about... The focus there is not about doing that to lose weight because that's when people get into that regimen, but just doing that to stay, to stay healthy and fit. But a good friend of mine, a nutritionist, who gave me a rubric that uh, is great for patient communication and he says uh, and he says that your your meals must always be a b c d so the a uh, and this is credit to nanako Owusu. he says the a is that you should ensure that your your meal is always adequate okay so adequate in in terms of the the portion the pro, the the portions so it it meets your your daily caloric needs uh, there are some who by reason of the work they do if for instance you're a manual you're into manual work you're digging construction your breakfast may not be uh, a typical english breakfast because it will not suffice for your needs uh-huh. but the, uh, so the one who does sedentary work does not need a lot of that calorie so if you started with a very big you know, bulky breakfast, then you are you are not you know adi- you are not you are being disproportionate. So it's, it should be adequate for the body, for the age, the the physical activity, and the the daily needs of the person. So that's A. Then B, it should be balanced. Balanced means that it should have a, a fair representation in adequate amount of the various food groups. So there should be. It should not just be a carbohydrate-based uh, diet. I, 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 I listen to uh, a radio station, and there are some people who contribute to sports. There's one who says that his name is uh, uh, Wachi 5 cd Chitong uh, it's, it's been trending <laughs> for some time now. I, I, I think that beyond the laughter and everything, I, I once I originally heard somebody say that um, a vendor had made a statement that should the uh, economic challenges continue. Now, when you buy rice, you have to buy the stew separately <laughs> before you even buy the meat. <laughs> so the, the chitonga is like saying, you can't even yeah. afford the meat. So it has to be balanced. There has to be uh, vegetables. There has to be... Uh, and we don't do a lot of vegetables in our, in, in, in our, our parts of the, the, the world. So right. the, balance, the balance has to be, to be there. And then C, C is for control. Okay. Control means that there should be a, 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 a stop and, and start button. There should be some rhythm. Um, there should be breakfast. There should be lunch. There should be supper. There sh- the, it's not continuous eating. Okay. So there, okay. there's some that eat every time. This it's, it's, There's no restriction you okay. you must be able to control when you are eating and also how much you are you are you are you are eating um the 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 times where food is served and it's almost like um you know the the proportions of everything is out it's like you know the the fufu is there and it's almost like it's a zoo you know, fish, there's everything there. You can see this. Give me the D and then I'll tell you something about, about this, this, this zoo that you described. So the D, what, what the the D will D? be diversity. Okay. Diversity means that, um, um, and diversity comes when we plan our meals. Because when we wait till it's meal time before we ask, what would we eat? we would literally go for what is closest. Okay. What happens is that then we repeat the meal. So it's everyday fufu, everyday bangkun. You can do bangkun for or kinky, uh, uh, kinky water for breakfast. Shinti, you know, for breakfast, it does kink, uh, 
kinky in the in the afternoon for lunch, kinky. What what it does is that then you are not exposed to all the the other nutrients from from different uh, sources. And when you do when you do these ABCDs, you provide your body with all the the micro the nutrients it needs, including all the micronutrients. So you don't need to do food supplements because the body is able to get it from all of these. The 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 challenging thing is that these days the um, our you know the the spices that we grow the condiments that we we used to add to our foods they're no longer available the kunsusa the srowesa the fomwesa the uh, the kakedros the all of those that we use naturally we we are going for the more the artificial flavorings and things like that but if we ensure that we have all of these we respect these rules of a b c d our our dietary intake would be our food intake would be more wholesome and then our health outcomes would also be better i, I know it won't be your area of specialization but i i just can't help but take a minute to touch on the issue of environmental pollution mm. and its implications for our health mm. either through the food that we eat the water that we drink mm. the air that we breathe mm. or just life around us mm-hmm. can we steal a minute of this conversation to 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 address the issue of the the pollution of our water bodies the 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 in, in improper disposal of waste mm-hmm. and all these things and how they end up impacting mm-hmm. our health mm-hmm. as we talk about this i i just hope that especially in our country that we get to a point where we can have a lid on on galamsi for instance water is so essential to to life and the, the, i mean i listen to radio and hear people who used to farm in areas where they say that they now fetch the water and pour, use it to water their crops and the crops are rather dying mm. it tells you the how the quality of that water is getting affected and you know when we say for instance somebody has uh, typhoid for instance typhoid is um, transmitted fecal orally mm. So it just simply means that you've eaten someone's feces, literally. The processing of food, the 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 way things go through, the the way we we pollute our environment, all goes it goes uh, out and comes back to us. So we need to be deliberate about about saving saving our our environment, not just for because it is a nice thing to do but actually it is saving us because they they have said before that when the last uh, tree dies the last man will also go with it and i de- i say that when when the last river body in ghana runs runs dry all of us also go with it in, in mentioning what changes we must make to our diet you left out water so, uh, so, so let me. Since you're talking about water and this it being essential, I guess the 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 conventional wisdom seems to be that the more water you drink, the, the more it washes your system, as it were. Correct. So everything still respecting the ABCD is inadequate, inadequate amount. As we wrap up this discussion about health and wellness, what is the one thing that you want to see as a starting point? for a healthier nation? Well, I, I want to see people respond better with, uh, with their health-seeking behaviors. So they, they, they make an annual health screening a part of their, their annual to-do things and do not wait for, to present at the hospital only when, when they are ill. And that they themselves will also be intentional about uh, acti- actions and activities that promote well, that um, prevent ill health. So they're exercising, they're eating well, they are keeping their minds um, active, um, they are vac- taking the necessary vaccinations. Because thankfully, the advancement in medicine and science uh, is, uh, you know, Providing us with some of some things that uh, help us sleep better. So there are lots of vaccines that are available that you can take that give you a certain assurance that if there is this 
infectious agent around that at least you have some level of protection. So if people take the pre- preventive measures more seriously, it will help. And then also as a nation, the health promotion practices. Health promotion practices, which will be our communication on, on risk behaviors, on al- alcohol uh, use and abuse, on sexual uh, behaviors, uh, on uh, you know things that we can educate people to shift uh, their health, their their behaviors that lead to uh, ill health. So promote promote good health practices. So, and then we can also now look at um, the um, the preservation. And the preservation comes in with curative. So where you are ill and you are seeking proper treatment, not. Uh, talking to a friend and say, oh, when I had this, they gave me this. So you self-prescribe, you self-medicate, and yet you are not, you don't know what dose is good for you. And then also rehabilitation. There are times when um, restoration is not fully possible or that it would be possible after a longer period. So there is rehabilitation as well. So if, if as a people, as a nation, if we focus on on these increasingly will be seeing people live longer but also healthier where they have attention to things that prevent ill health they're eating well they are moving well they are engaging in uh, they are vaccinating you know to protect them and prevent them from uh, diseases and then also they are being reminded about the the dangerous activities and practices that lead to eventually would lead to ill health and then we are also implementing policies for instance there are countries where there is um, there is uh, you know all the the saturated fat we are talking about and and junk food there's junk food task and it's intentional because they want to reduce the burden of uh, NCDs or non-communicable diseases because it costs a nation to treat that so if that there's tax, then people will go for that, go for healthier options. Well, there's all of this communication around that. And then plus, lastly, we look at the curative, that if you're ill, you must report to a competent provider who would be able to effectively diagnose and then treat the condition in order to help restore your, your health. And if uh, that also needs rehabilitation as well, in order for you to cope with the the situation that has emerged, then you, you do that. William Ochilfimpo is a medical practitioner. He's a leadership expert and also a certified coach trying to help us unpack the management of our bodies. If you've been listening, he started by talking about what he thinks the continent needs at this time, envisioning ethics, execution, and empathy. He says the execution is the missing bit. I think that empathy is a missing bit. Because when you have empathy, you do all the other three. Well. But that, that, that's my own opinion. <laughs> the yeah. second one, he says, which um, the which the, the defines health as a complete state of physical, social, and mental well-being, not just the absence of disease or, the, or deformity. But he's saying that these days, the definition of um, physical, social, and mental has been extended to involve spiritual, financial, especially because, Charlie, you can't avoid that one. The third one is about awareness, and he's reminding us that many people don't don't really know their bodies, and he's saying at least at the very basic, know your BMI, be familiar with your blood pressure levels, and then also your sugar levels. And as you grow older, for men, be interested in your prostate, and for women, cervical health as well as breast care. Um, the next point is about routine medical examination. He says 46 million deaths are from non-communicable diseases like diabetes, cancer, hypertension, rather than those that are caused by the viruses that are transmitted from other people. And that means that something that we are doing we should be looking at ourselves a bit more. And he says that the danger about most of these things is that they are silent. And so if you wait for the symptoms, by the time you come, it's getting too late. Why do men seek help less than women? And he says it's simply because men sometimes think they don't have time 
or they don't just like to be vulnerable or there are financial considerations among other reasons but those are the reasons why he's, he tends to see more women in hospitals than men interestingly he says between the age of 19 to 59 he has 69 percent of women and 31 percent of men coming to his own practice should there be a paradigm shift in medical practitioners versus patient care he says obviously the more people feel that they are being carefully handled with empathy the more they open up and the more they would like to seek medical care but he says as a matter of fact there tends to be a, a much more empathy in private practice than in the public centers partly also because of the sheer numbers of people that the caregivers in the public sector space have to see to that doesn't allow for as much engagement as the practitioner would like and then the the last big point is about the link between our, our choices and our health state and then also our finances and you see that of the 41 percent of working people retired Retired earlier than, earlier than they, they had intended, intended and, and out of the 41 percent, a third of them, a third of them was, was for health reasons. Health I calculated and I said that's about 14 percent of people retiring early because of health reasons. That means that you, you the income should stop flowing not because you you, you wanted to, but because you, you, you had just to. couldn't, and that was critical. You end by saying, Let us be more deliberate about um, prevention, promotion and preservation and in between you talked also about what we should eat the abcd of what you should eat mm. and then also how to take care of our environment william the gratifying thing is you get a testimony about somebody who's gotten a, a, a solution a miracles a lifestyle change as a result of the preaching or the ministry for the teacher the students results and they passing their exams gives them that fulfillment for you as a medical practitioner, what is that thing that gives you the feeling that, yes, we got it right? Well, the, the, the story of change. Um, Give me one. So I'll share one of uh, um, someone who, who's, who, by implementing lifestyle changes, I mean, his, his whole being transformed. Right. He, he was, his weight uh, was... Uh, over 150 kilos wow. and um, such that you know he even developed visible breast and this was a, a male and he's uh, he, he, he tells me that his friends called him Breastina oh. because he, he had you know this obvious uh, uh, mammary uh, glands that were more pronounced than they should have been and in, by implementing lifestyle changes, exercise, weight, um, sorry, uh, dietary management, he now moved from this over 150 kilograms to under 70. Wow. And then now he had now these nice trim chest of six packs and he's now a chestina. Oh, so the friends now call him chestina. <laughs> so he moves from breastina to chestina. And the interesting thing is that he says that uh, and this is someone who's published this in a book. So he, he's now even earning money from his his experience and actually now a certified uh, weight loss instructor. And he's teaching people how to, uh, you know, deal with that. He talks about how his self-worth, you know, that how it improved greatly. And so it's not, it's actually not just physical, but it's also emotionally uh, healthy as well. I, I, I believe you so much. So what you're saying is that just by changing his lifestyle, one, he's trimmer and fitter. Two, there are health implications for his own body mm. and appearance. Now the friends are also calling him Chestina instead of Breastina. And then now he's written a book about it. He's earning income from it and he's become a, an instructor to others also about how they Absolutely. can get a Absolutely. better life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. William Ochoa from Point. And let's do this again. My pleasure. Thanks, Albert. This has been the Breastina to Chestina <laughs> edition of Springboard Adventure University talking about managing health and wellness. I trust you found some useful nuggets for charting your way forward. 
Till we come your way again next week with Springboard, your virtual investing. My name is Albert Okran, thanking you on behalf of the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and our sponsors, MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, Central University, and our media partners, the Multimedia Group, and the Graphic Business. So we do this again, again, my name is Albert saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you.